the drug that really truly brought me down was actually methamphetamines. Um, it allowed me to have that chase that natural feeling that I was getting from kicking out the channel at Sunset Beach and trying to keep that on feeling and that euphoric, just everything, all kind of feeling. I wanted to be on and I wanted that feeling all the time. Welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson and this week on the show, we've got an interview with Peter Mel. Stabs recently made a film on Pete that you can watch on Premium Now by the name of Everything and All. And you really need to see it. Even if you only know Pete from the WSL commentary team, I think it's pretty hard not to like him. But after watching this movie, you can't help but love him. He's humble, he's honest, and on top of that, he's just a full-blown maniac in the water. And he's had a wild life. Before we get to Pete, though, let's catch up on the week in surfing and some sinners with Stabs editor Brendan Buckley. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready for war. <laughs> what do you mean? What's, what's your, uh, what's, what sort of combat are we talking here? I'm going to Switzerland to surf in a contest. <laughs> Talk to me. This is, so we spoke about this a while back. You, you, uh, you're entering a wave pool contest. Is that right? I am. I'm getting the competitive career. We're reviving it. Um, it's been a while, maybe since 2010, 11, since I tried to do something like this. But yeah, there's a, there's a surf contest at that wave pool, Alaya Bay in Switzerland. And they wanted us to come check it out, write a little story. And they're like, you want to enter the event? And I was like, uh, I guess so. I mean, it's kind of structured so that you just get to surf really. Like it's not like at least the early rounds, you just kind of just surf like a normal session. I guess they're kind of judging you. Um, it's, I don't think it's really geared towards like, like, no, but then it goes to the final. It goes to like serious Don't try and shit after. talk down this heroic return to competition, Bach. I think, we, I think we all know what's going on here. This is a comeback. Oh, man. I'm like, I'm nervous. I'm nervous even talking about it now. It's going to take a lot of my mental energy, my, my spiritual energy. It's going to take a lot. Physical strength. What sort of caliber are you going to be surfing against? I have no idea, really. Um, I know, I know Leon Glatzer, I think, I don't know how to say his name, but he was in the Olympics. He surfs for Germany. I think he was raised in Costa Rica though. I've heard he's going to be there, so he'll fuck me up. Um, Inara, one of our judges from Stab High, she'll be there, but she'll be serving in the women's division. So I really don't know. I don't know if it's going to be me and a bunch of Swiss cowboys. I have no idea what to expect. There's like a big DJ party on Saturday night too. Oh, you'll win that. It's, I will win that. That's like, if I can't, if I can't come up, come out on top of the event, I got that, you know, that's, that'll be my time to shine. I cannot wait. So we'll hear about this next week on the podcast. We'll hear about it next week on the podcast, but it's, uh, I'm boarding a flight a few hours from now and I'll be having a fondue in no time. Team Jaleesa wins Stab Highway. I mean... I saw it coming. Did you see it coming? Yeah, they actually completely smashed it in the end. I mean, we tried to edit it in a way where it looked close, but they were the far and away winners. Uh, the whole time you could see their chemistry. You could, you could tell that team was heading places. You know what though? Team Holly did put on a really solid 
performance. And when it came to the highest rating surface or the highest scoring surface from the whole thing, they actually had the highest. And I think everyone would guess it was probably Harry, but it wasn't. It was the Grom of their team, Dakota Walters, who who won himself 30 points. And uh, I guess they just didn't have the backup because the next highest or the most the next highest points accumulating surfer was Wade Goodall with 29 and then Sean Manners on the same team uh, had 27. So they could, just couldn't back it up. But they had Harry who was obviously bringing home some huge moments and Dakota took out the most points. So Team Jaleesa just had the consistency. Well, as a former MVP myself of a degenerate surf-based road trip challenge, I'm very proud of Dakota. Uh, I thought he... I thought he was incredible, the whole thing. Like, I, I'd seen him surf before and always liked his style and it is like riding weird boards and shit, but what do we call them? Inappropriate boards, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's inappropriate, Dakota. Um, I, I loved him. I fell in love with him this trip. I'm now in love with a, with a small boy and um, he's wearing a wetsuit most of the time and that's what Stab Highway does to you. Yeah. Yeah, he's just, he, he's, he's already so thin. He's sticks and bones and he was basically walking around in a, a sauna suit just sweating the entire time. So I'm sure even though he was eating a bazillion pies that he somehow still lost weight during that trip just from his sauna suit. That's, that to me was the most probably cruel challenge in Stab Highway. Mm. Like that was probably the one that I'd, I'd want to do the least. Yeah. Maybe the pie one too, actually. The pie one, I think I would just feel like just terrible after that. But uh, I don't know. What, what challenge would you be most personally terrified of that they tackled? It's a funny one because those are long, long lasting and just gross pretty much, the ones you mentioned. But then the swimming a river with a stake attached to your leg is, is fear on a whole nother level. It's short-lived fear, but it's... It's real. We actually had a, a, a listener email me through the week and just said, hey, how stupid would you have felt if someone got their leg bitten off by a shark or died or great question and something we definitely discussed prior to this event. Like, is this the stupidest thing you could ever possibly do uh, given the amount of shark attacks that have been in, in I mean, globally but particularly on, on the east coast of Australia as well? And uh, yeah, but that's what made it, so exhilarating was the fact that it was a real it was a real risk and it was real it was a significant challenge but yeah i mean that's let's be happy that nobody got eaten by a shark as i think it's always something to be happy about remember we had that like wasn't somebody talking about being lucky after being eaten by a shark that guy oh, yeah, that? yeah 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 fuck that guy yeah. <laughs> We got lucky because we didn't get eaten by a shark at Stab Highway. It's my yeah. take still. Yeah, with that river thing though, like we we had a meeting earlier this week and I just kind of brought up, like, because we're kind of trying to figure out where we take it from here. Like we know we're going to California for the next one. Stab Highway, California is coming like early next year, I think we're looking to do it. But we're talking about like how to like lead this one into that one. And one idea I just threw out there is like if if Harry will swim under the Golden Gate Bridge with more meat attached to him, there's no way he couldn't join. Because we're kind of trying to figure out if it should be Australians again or like just Americans or send the winning team over. We, we don't know what we're doing there yet, but oh man, that's kind of my take. 
what other challenges do you feel like bringing to the American version, Bach? I'm wondering, like, even because, like I said, I think the two most like personally daunting challenges for me was the wetsuit and just that, like, I get what you mean about the the shark and the river thing, but like, I'll take a little bit of like intense fear and everything for a short-lived time rather than like extend a wetsuit wearing a wetsuit or eating a pie for that long like I'd, I'd rather just get it get in and get it done with and go from there do you piss in your wetsuit yeah 100 percent. you're the psychopath you don't yeah that's what i thought i remember getting in the car once these guys from new zealand we went surfing the first time i'd ever surf with them and we got in the car and he got someone goes oh who pissed in their wetsuit as if like the smell in the wetsuit bucket they could they could smell the piss and I was just like, who doesn't piss in their wetsuit? I was like I was so shocked that uh, that was something they didn't do. I've heard that Mikey Wright doesn't do that for some reason. He'll just get out of the water to go piss mid session. And really, I've never observed this behavior, but I I did hear that he he's a non pisser. But other than that, I've never heard of these people. Yeah, well, it was the one downside of wetsuits getting better, better seals, more lining with that carpet on the inside is that it just traps the urine and it, you end up just, instead of it getting flushed out mid-surf and the smell going away, you end up just having a little spa bath in your own urine the whole surf, which, which isn't ideal. You may be warmer, but yeah, it's, it's the downside of good wetsuits, good wetsuit technology. Yeah, I mean, I'm all good with that. I just don't want to wear it for a week straight <laughs> after I do that. <laughs> I think with the California one though, we definitely have to have carry over some of those, those surf based challenges. Like I think my personal favorite in that realm was the, the air before sunrise, just cause it mm. was equal parts, like impressive from a surf level, but also kind of cruel and funny to watch <laughs> because it's so hard <laughs> and annoying to do. There was a lot of cruelty. I think almost any of the challenges were were somewhat cruel. Even the performance surf ones, trying to fit maneuvers into parts of the wave where they don't fit. The only one that's not really cruel is the big prize, the the monster air, which Kobe Perkovich won this year. What do you think of Kobe surfing? As a goof who tries to go above the wave at times, I love it. I love the way he surfs. Yeah, he was so pumped to win the monster air, and I didn't realize until afterwards. He, I, I was sitting there with Sam and he came up to, he came up to us and, and, and Sam was so stoked for him and, and he replied to Sam straight away and said, well, how come I didn't get into Stab High Waco, the first one, because his name was on the list, but he ended up getting brushed. He heard he ended up getting brushed for Blair Conklin. How do you say that? His name, Conklin, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that works for me. Yeah, he, he ended up getting brushed for Blair Conklin and, and that got that got back to him and he was, he was devastated. So he had a little bit of, he had a little bit of fire in his belly from that. And, and that's why he was, he was, he was pretty pumped to win. Oh, that's pretty fair. I mean, Blair is really impressive at surfing, but just him being like a skimboarder, like I'd be, I'd be upset too. You can put any other like surfer, but the fact that he's like primarily a skimboarder, I'd be, I'd be rattled too. That's, that's a fair thing for him. Yeah. The guys that do it and, uh, are committed to and care about surf culture a lot. Tend to hate the the novelty things on the fringe. Like there was guy that's really popular now for doing Instagram skits and and, and Instagram style comedy. Mackenzie Bowden that was on the trip, and I I heard some whispers from some of the 
the sum of the I don't know what the word is. I don't want to say core because I feel like that wave that word is really cooked at this point. But some of the some of the guys that are let's say purists that were pissed off that there was someone that was like a, a vlogger or a an Instagram um, personality on the trip. They hated that. And wow. I, I guess I guess Kobe in the same way would, would hate getting brushed for a, a skimboarder. <laughs> fair. I mean, I, I like I said, I think it's fair. Mm. Anything else? Like it just it at that point you just kind of neglect talent and everything else, and the only detail you can focus on is the the finless disc that that he likes to jump around on. And like I said, great surfer, respect him, but just yeah, that, that would get in my head. If a skimboarder beats me this weekend, I'll be fucking livid. <laughs> What if a rollerblader rolls up on the side of the pool and then takes his skates off and goes out and beats you? That would be that would be the ultimate shame. That would be. I'm not. Stop it. Don't get in my head. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing on Stab Highway. I feel like the just how wild it was. It was kind of easy to forget that the prize is actually something pretty fucking phenomenal. It's a Kai Neville's going to direct a movie about the winning team. Um, that's crazy. That's yeah, the surfers in the lead up were so excited about the idea of the the Kai film being the the prize. They they when we when we spoke to a bunch of surfers and asked them what they'd prefer, that or money, they all decided that the Kai film was way way more valuable and would be way more motivating. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, it feels like a very different thing from Stab Highway, but it's it's wild. Like that's everything Kai does is gold, in my opinion. Yeah, he's, he's never fucked up once. Never. He's the perfect person. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't lose that. Kanoa Igarashi named GQ Man of the Year. So everybody knows what GQ does is they look at the Challenger series every year. That's like their primary thing that they use to decide this. And... Right now, Kanoa's on top of it, so it's it's a pretty obvious pick, in my opinion. Um, what do you think here, Danny? Well, I didn't know. I don't know anything about Man of the Year, but I read the article. That, did you write that article on the site? I think Ethan did. Oh uh, yeah, I, I read the article on the site, and so I clicked around and and saw because it wasn't he wasn't the man of the year. He was just a man of the year, right? There's multiples. There's no defined like singular winner but i think they have rules at gq that since he's the head of the cs right now they do give him the <laughs> yeah I, I was trying to figure out what it meant i mean i listened to one of the one of the one of the people one of the other men of the year was a rapper i had to listen to his music i don't know what the fuck he was saying but was, was it good? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I couldn't. Okay. It just sounded quite um, derivative of any American hip hop in terms of its production, but whatever. But I just don't really get like that. So the people that won were Kanoa, obviously, is a surfer. Then the other the other men were actors and singers and things like that. And that that's just not very manly to me. Like, I, I would just think the man of the year would be just some unknown removalist who moved the most amount of fridges in the past year or, or something like that. I like the old stereotype of man, Buck. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, we, yeah, we could work on that. Cause yeah, Kanoa isn't, uh, he's not at least as far as the old stereotype goes, probably not the most surfer 
not surfing is best candidate for man of the year. Like maybe Wade Carmichael, they should be looking at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he should win Japan's man of the year. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> Surfers can help change the world. Can't we, Danny? I think so. I think so, too. I think so, too. We've actually... So this is a story that is on Stab Premium currently, and we've actually got a note from its author, Mitchell Shepard, to break it down for you. Hello, everyone. Mitch Shepard here, author of the recent Stab piece, Surfers Can Help Change the World. Firstly, thanks must go to Stab editor Brennan Buckley for such a delightfully inspiring title. Thank you, Buck. Look, we all know that politics has turned a bit shit lately, uh, or shitter than usual is probably more accurate. This piece looks at politics and activism in surfing and by surfers. Does it have a place? Should it have a place? And if not, why not? A lot of surfers whinge about keeping politics out of surfing. We all remember the shitstorm around Surfer Magazine's backing of Biden and Harris in the last US election, or Tyler Wright taking a knee for BLM. But where does that whinging come from, and is it an outdated attitude? Politics is about change, whether it's local or international, and if we aren't engaging in that process, then it just sort of happens without us, which is never a good thing. In the article, you'll read some interesting stuff from surf writer Sean Doherty, author Lauren Hill, Australian senator Peter Wish Wilson, and also some weird and wonderful commentary from our very beloved Dave Rastovich. So happy reading and feel free to leave me an abrasive comment. Thank you. Yeah, Buck, how did you feel about this story? I thought it was great. It took some time. Like I, I had some rounds of back and forth with Mitch on it and it was great. I could tell something that he was passionate about. And he obviously talked to some people that were really passionate about getting involved and stepping up. And it's a great read. Inspirational, I might say. Oh, yeah. You know what I liked about it? It's like you watch the David Attenborough documentary and it's just the doom of the earth is just shoved straight in your face. But we are facing a man-made disaster on a global scale. In the 20 years since I first started talking about the impact of climate change on our world, conditions have changed far faster than I ever imagined. And you feel really motivated to do something or to, to change your behaviour, but you don't really know where to start or, and what standard to apply to your life. You know, like I, I don't use disposable coffee cups anymore in my suite or should I, should I stop driving my car? Should I walk to work? Like it's no, so hard draws. to know. Plastic straws. That's, no, that's I've what ditched them a long time ago. <laughs> I just drink straight from the cup. And wow, brave. <laughs> I'll probably win an award this year. But <laughs> like you, you never really know how to, how to apply any standards to your life. And what I liked about this article was that it, it didn't simplify it in any way, but it did give some real understanding of how to think about these issues. Yeah. And I think it was cool to just like almost remind yourself that like, okay, like these, this is something that people actually do. Like people step up in our world. Um, it's super interesting. I, I can't shake this degenerate idea in my head though of just like, I kind of want to show up to like, a, like some sort of a political rally. I'm thinking like anti-vax probably would be the go just with like surf related signs. Like I would love just being like in the middle. My friend sent me a video the other day where he just was having a beer somewhere. He's in London and just a parade went by him. I was like anti-vax and I was like, they all have their posters and shit. 
And I was like, it'd just be so fun to just get in the middle of one of those with just a completely irrelevant sign of what they're going about. Like, just like no more mid lengths, just like in the middle of it. And hopefully, like, work your way into some sort of like news site. Like, I can't shake this idea. It's like, I, I don't know. I got to find one of these things to try to pull this off because, like, I can't, I can't get past it. The Eddie Icow Big Wave Invitational is back. This is huge. This is huge, and this came out of the blue, in my opinion. I usually hear some whispers, things like that, before, uh, like, arguably one of the most famous surf contests of all time rumbles its way back to life. This just kind of popped up earlier this week, and it's awesome. It's that he's back. As far as I can tell. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it really did come from nowhere, because... Things didn't look good for the Eddie because given they they couldn't come to an agreement with Quicksilver back in, what year was that? Right around 2016. I think they had like the crazy, crazy year in 2016 where it was probably one of the biggest swells they got for the Eddie in its history. And it was just like, I think one of the ones that just made international headlines everywhere was just crazy. And then I think after that year, they couldn't reach another agreement. I think that one had so much pop to it that uh, it made things trickier when it came to try to renegotiate. Right. So the ICAO family put a premium on the amount of coverage that the event got and it's, it's worth as a publicity event. Is that, is that fair to say? I'm not really sure. I don't know the details of it. I've actually... I'm trying to go deeper here and tee up an interview with the Ikao family and learn about what to, to bring it back. Um, I don't know the the details about what made it go sour, but I think it's something along the lines that you suggested. I don't know the specifics, but mm. uh, it's back. And as far as we can tell right now, it doesn't seem like there's any sponsors attached to it. It could just be fully grassroots, which I think would be awesome. I'm not sure if it'd lead to like a great broadcast and shit like that, but just imagine it is just this like grassroots effort but like the names in there everybody that would have been there no matter who is sponsoring it you know and i think a lot of those people have enough respect for that event and for eddie that they'd show up yeah i've never seen an event with so much reverence and the opening ceremony that they have every year that the event runs i mean sorry every every year that the event is scheduled to run it doesn't run every year but the they have the opening ceremony and and all the invitees show up and they're so honored to be part of that list yeah and the waiting period is already on it's december 1st to february 28th so if a massive swell heads to hawaii it could be on i think like i said i'm trying to go i'm trying to get more information here and get a premium story going but the ideal almost for me not really ideal but i think it'd be so cool if if it was that really grassroots thing say they like didn't have a broadcast but they got like everybody from Kelly to John, Peter Mel, Kyle Kennelly, everybody to show up and do it. And like, you can even watch it online or anything. Like, like I feel like that'd be so cool if they like pulled off an event, like with all the biggest names and like, it was just like show up at the beach one morning and there's like a small tent. Like that'd be probably the coolest thing to happen this year in surfing. Fuck, that'd be good. Yeah, seeing that like, just like tent on the beach surf contest formula, like that'd be <laughs> sick, but we'll see. We'll see where they're gonna take it. Like I said, I'm working on something there, but great news that it's back. The Eddie's back. The Eddie's Eddie back. Eddie would go. Buck. Hey, I've got some trivia for you, some Eddie trivia. 
I got on Wikipedia and, and the Eddie's got a page on there. What Hawaiian beach was it first run at? The Eddie Icao. Sunset. Oh. Ding. Fuck sharp. How many surfers are invited each year? Ooh. 24. Ooh, close, but four off. 28. <sighs> How many times has the competition run since 1984? That's a tough one. I'm going to say eight. Mm. Oh, fuck, so close. It's nine. Oh, fuck. <laughs> but you did pretty good, one from three. Yeah, I was close to the others. Damn it. I'm unbridled. Trivia yeah. night. <laughs> Don't let this derail your confidence coming into the Swiss wave pool event. Uh, I won't. I hope, I hope our audience can play trivia along too. Space that out so they can try and see how hard it is to get any questions right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I will do. Play along at home. <laughs> uh, oh, no. I would have had to have said that at the start. Hopefully you did well, people. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Hope you did great. If you went three for three, then um, I don't know. Feel good about yourself. Yeah, touch yourself. Touch yourself while you're driving. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's fun. <laughs> Watch everything and all the Peter Mel story. So I believe we have an interview with Peter coming up in this episode, correct? We do. I'm going to speak to him after I speak to you, Buck. And Great. get to the bottom of this maniac. Well, not get to the bottom because the film already does that, but we're just going to catch up with Pete and talk about the film. We've got, we've got more treats coming on Sad Premium. We've actually got a Mikey February film directed by, what's this guy's Dan? Dan. Dan. <laughs> Dan. Dan. Danny. Dane Reynolds. Dane Reynolds. Uh, we've got that coming soon. That is going to be phenomenal, I think. I haven't seen it yet, but I trust it'll be incredible. Yeah, I've had a sneak peek and it's a pretty amazing collaboration. Buck, it's a pretty, it's pretty special to uh, have those two guys together because Dane's films are unbelievable. But uh, you know what I find really interesting about it is, is Dane's taste in Surfer. He started... I mean, he, he previously made a film with Craig Anderson and, and they have a company now together. He, that company sponsors Benny Howard and now he's making this Mikey Feb film for us. And I feel like Dane's taste in surfing are these really graceful, stylish surfers that finesse everything and, ha and have their power and, and all rip, but they, they have a very different approach that Dane does. Have you ever noticed that? I knew his history of filmmaking and I remember like, I remember when Slow Dance, his movie on Craig was coming to be, I was like, it was before we knew of Dane as like the incredible filmmaker he is today. And I remember just thinking to myself like, whoa, no, like Dane, like keep, do more surfing. Like I want to see you, like don't, don't spend time making a film. And then that movie came out, it was really good. And he's only since gotten better and better at it and made more and more films. And so... I've seen his work in the past and seen it evolve, but I never really thought about the surfers that he chose kind of having that. Yeah, that's never really jumped out at me, I guess. That's a good point. I got a, th I got a theory about it. it there was this German philosopher. I can't remember his name, but 
he came up with this theory that was called the will to life. And it's basically, our, also maybe the will to live. It's like our blind, incessant impulses that we have without knowledge and that are all about driving the species forward because stay with me here for a sec, Buck. But people that, people that end up in the middle typically have the greatest chance of survival. So if you're really tall is a really crude example, then you're going to be attracted to short people of the opposite sex if you're going to, to, to procreate because your offspring will be somewhere in the middle and have the best chance of survival. It's a way of weeding out the anomalies and trying to keep things towards the middle that we have like as a biological impulse. And I was thinking, I was trying to like think about Dane because Dane's approach is just this brute force rawness and he has an incredible style, but it's not the finesse and approach that he has, uh, sorry, that he seems to be attracted to with the surface he works with. And so in my head, I was like, oh, Dane is, is really loves and idolized these things that are kind of like the opposite of him. And then if he was to have a baby with Craig Anderson or Mikey Feb, which he has done, this film is kind of that offspring, then it's, it's, it's combining their two things. Am I, have I still got you here? You got me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm down on a little yin, little yang. As far as this German fella goes, it strikes me as he just had a weird fetish and he was trying his best <laughs> to justify it. Like he had like a foot thing and he's like, well, it's not me. It's because of a will to live. And it's like, shut the fuck up. Did you sniff feet? Like go eat a bratwurst or something. Um, but I do, I mean, yeah, you know, they say opposites attract, little yin, little yang. But I, I think you're onto something there. But the German guy, I think he was a pervert. Um, <laughs> so keep an eye out for that coming soon, the, the Dane and the Mikey thing. Next few weeks, it'll be on Stab Premium. And another thing, let's call out on Stab Premium, Jed Smith wrote a story recently about his take on the art of storytelling and how it pertains to modern surf content. So let's hear from Jed. Yeah, Jed basically hates vlogs. He hates them, truly. Hi there, Jed Smith here from Stab Magazine. My contribution to the Stab Premium website this week was an opinion piece I wrote called In the Age of the Vlog, It's Getting Harder to Find Good Surf Films. Basically, this was brought on by watching so much mediocre surf film content that all attempted to tell a story. So I'm not talking about surf porn here. You know, that's a, an age-old formula. You know, good surfing times, good music equals hashtag winning. It's it's uh, a tried and tested formula. It's never going to get old. I'm talking about the other stuff, the stuff that tries to tell a story. It might be a narrated biopic. It might be a uh, travel feature. It might be a vlog. Um, and I guess, you know, we're in a really weird time in surfing where a lot of pro surfers are de facto content creators. So they're basically being expected to manage a skill set such as storytelling, which is, you know, a really difficult to master skill set. It's, it's, it's might be humankind's oldest and most cherished art form, the ability to tell a story. Um, and good storytellers, you know, I'm sure all through ancient societies right up until now occupy really important roles in society. 
Um, it's a very specialized skill set, telling, uh, telling stories. You know, there's entire university degrees dedicated to it. There's an entire profession dedicated to it. Uh, it's, it's, I would argue every bit as specialized as, you know, professional surfing. I think, um, they're both, yeah, they're both very hard to master. Um, you know, they take years, like, like, I'm a professional storyteller, um, and I've a, you know I'm not particularly like it's my job, so I have to be good at it or I don't get paid much like a professional surfer. And what I can say is that it took me years and years to be able to do this at a professional level. It, it took roughly the same amount of time to tell a decent story as it did. Uh, to learn how to surf. Um, and I, I guess a good analogy for pro surfers working in this space, trying to tell stories is like, imagine if myself, a professional storyteller, put out without a hint of irony, a uh, high performance surf film. Just think about that. You know, how, how would that be received by the public? It, you know, It'd be fucking horrendous. Like, I would have to change my name and move to Yemen or something. Like, I don't know. It'd just be a, an absolute debacle. The, the howls of derision would take years to subside. Um, so I, I just think it's it's worth keeping in mind that if you, you're dipping your toe into storytelling, into whether it be a vlog, uh, whether it be, uh, a, a, you know, an attempt to tell the story of a place, you know, travel – Travel writing, travel films uh, is such an incredible art form. You know, people and places are the twin pillars on which travel writing and travel films are are built. So you kind of need to know all these little bits and bobs, these finicky nuances to storytelling to be able to pull it off. Otherwise, you look like a fucking idiot. And by extension, you make surfing look like a fucking idiot culture. So uh, don't do that. Um, Interestingly... Uh, the response to this article, I got, I got one interesting response from none other than, uh, Kaloe Andino, brother. Um, he was really fired up by the article. He completely agreed, uh, and was, you know, said basically that he was going to work hard to produce, some. Um, you know, good quality content to even out all the the shit that's being put out to meet this weekly content quota that brands are demanding or YouTube's demanding. Uh, and he did that. Reckless Isolation, I thought, was actually a quality surf film. Uh, it kind of merged really high-performance surfing with some really, you know, really insightful vignettes into the characters that were on the boat trip um, you know, the chemistry between them, say Griffin versus Koloe, I found it pretty interesting. Well produced, very cinematic, well shot. Um, interesting that they managed to create something that was, you know, unique and highly watchable out of, uh, uh, you know, an, a luxury Mentawaiian boat trip, which has been done approximately 80,000 times by professional surfers. You wouldn't think there's a new angle on it, but yeah, that was a that was a really watchable film. I really enjoyed that. So it was good to um good to know Chloe's on the bandwagon and he's committed to putting out some, you know, well thought out high quality surf content cuz I think the surfing public, the surfing culture deserves it. And now it is time for the surf sin. So this one it's, it's one of those tricky ones that it's, he's almost confessing for another person was my initial read, but the more I thought about it, the more 
his sin became apparent to me. So let's hear it and then we'll break it down. Yeah, all right. Let's hear it. This guy's name is Ethan. Let's hear Ethan's surf sin. What is up, Dropkicks? Uh, This surf sin happened roughly five years ago on Tasmania's east coast. Pumping waves. Four foot reeling right-handers, which is really rare for down here. We're all losing our minds straight out there. I'd, I'd had some good ones, but I was like, oh, I want to wait for a good set and get a real good one. One of my good mates, and we're sitting out the back. He's first in line, I'm second. Anyway, the set of the day comes through, and he's committed for the first one. I was shepherding, like, are you, you going to go? He's like, yep. Committed wholeheartedly for this wave, There's like this bomb set wave. Happens to miss the first one. So I'm just like straight to the inside looking for the, looking for the next one. And he just thinks nothing of it. Spins like, missed this wave, spun straight around. Paddles like, pretty much paddle battled me back to the inside. And I was like, like I was completely mind blown. Didn't know what was going on. He was just all about going the second wave because he'd missed the first one. And I was just completely lost for words. Like, what? It, you're actually going to take this wave? Like, I was brought up in a in a society of like surfers where you miss a wave, you're at the back of the line pretty much. And this dude's missed the first wave on a bomb set, paddled straight back to the inside to get this other one. I I didn't know what to do. He he went the wave, belted it all out of the inside, and I'm just sitting out the back with nothing. So. My like my surf sin is whether or not he's the sinner because he took two set waves and only caught one, or is it a sin that I'm still holding on to this weird grudge that I've got because he took my set wave as well? Anyway, hopefully we can reach some sort of I don't know means to an end for this saga that's been dwelling in my head forever. He wouldn't have a clue what this has done to me over the last couple of years. But he's a good dude, so I've never brought it up to him. But anyway, make of it what you will. Yeah, Buck, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Talk, talk to me about it. What, do you, what did you think? It took me a while to wrap my head around it. Like I said, my, my first take was that, okay, well, clearly this other guy is the sinner. And Ethan, I was trying to figure out what exactly he did wrong because he, you know, it's, it's not super apparent from the jump. So when I thought about it, I realized that this quote-unquote friend is a sociopath. He kills people, <laughs> he skins them. Um, to just act like that's normal to like to do that and just pile yeah. back out like it's not addressed in any way. This guy's a sociopath. I think he kills people. I think he skins them. I don't know what he does at the flesh, but he should be investigated. Yeah, no refunds. Like that's not a thing. There's, 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 I think at some point he says he mentions the society that the rule like no refunds. That's that's a society I grew up in. If you if you paddle for wave and wave and miss it, you don't get an, another one. You're not you don't retain the spot. Yeah, but I just don't get how it wouldn't be addressed. Like, I don't, I don't understand how this could happen, and then it's just left alone. Like, this so you is had the thing. same read. You had the same read as me. Ethan's sin was not fading this guy. That just letting him take the next wave. 
Ooh, I had a slightly different read on it. I mean, that's 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 one way to interpret. I see where you're going there. My read was that Ethan's sin, um, the Lord taught us all to forgive, and so I think his sin was to to hold on to this grievance and to not forgive. But I think you've got a great point as well. Mm. Well, don't you think if 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 someone's on the inside, that doesn't mean anything. It depends on how they got there. If someone if someone just paddles straight up and sits there, that's that's the equivalent of a drop in. If someone misses a wave and then paddles straight back to the inside to get the next one, that's that that inside position doesn't mean a thing, right? Like I feel like Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe you just made the mistake of like looking at this guy. Like if, if he just put his head down and looked nowhere near the guy, I guess mm. the maybe that was a mistake. You know? Because if if not, like the guy should get it. if you just head down going hard at the wave then then you're going, but well, either way, there's multiple sins that have been outlined here. What's your penance, Buck? My penance, so going that forgiveness route, I think what Ethan needs to do is find the biggest wave available to him in a calendar year, biggest or most dangerous, let's say, um, especially if he doesn't really seek these waves out ordinarily. And I don't think he needs to catch one, but what I think he needs to do is intentionally get a set on the head. Um he needs to feel that his life is in danger. And through that, his kind of perspective will broaden and he will be able to make amends and to forgive and he'll kind of have that like that different perspective on life. So that's, that's what I think it takes for Ethan to heal. That's my penance. I would love to watch that. <laughs> Someone just intentionally getting a set on the head. That's really good, Buck. I think that's fair. I think it's achievable. Sometimes I worry that our penances aren't achievable enough, but that one certainly is. Yeah, well, I think there's a guy, he does that like Ocean Warrior course, who I think to like promote it once purposely got a set on the head of Jaws. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I took a different approach and my penance for Ethan was that he has to fade his friend enough times until he's earned that way back. It seemed like he was really he was really taken by the, how much the surf was pumping that day. So every time he surfs with that friend, he's got to keep fading him until he's, you know, if the surf's not so good, he might have to fade him 10 times before he, before he reaches that, that day that was pumping the equivalent. And yeah, I've taken a more antagonistic and tyrannical approach, Buck. I like it. I think Ethan will listen and he'll, he'll be able to figure out which, sin he relates to more deeply and he'll go from there and he'll be healed. Yeah. Do you think he's taking responsibility for this or, or, or do you think he, do you think he was hoping that we would, that we would crucify his friend? I mean, I did say that his friend kills and eats people, I think. So. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Buck, and thanks, Ethan. Please send your surf sins in to danny at stabmag.com or buck at stabmag.com. Both of our emails are in the episode description. And now let's hear from Pete Mel. I'm so glad Stab made this movie with Pete. In the internet age, humility is just so rarely rewarded. It's actually the opposite. Narcissistic behavior is celebrated and it's unfortunate that complete icons can be right under our noses and... And not really getting enough attention. Like, I've been aware of Pete surfing, the level of respect he has in the big wave community and the sketchy side of Santa Cruz that he was a part of for a while. But I just had no, much, I just had no idea how much of a king he, he really is. And this film has it all. It's got even Pete's hi-fi stuff from when he was younger 
the young Pete was boning airs and hammering sections and his small wave surfing was super impressive. Actually, it's not even in the film, but Pete's small wave comp results back it up. He came third at a QS in Huntington 10 years ago when he was 41 in small shitty waves. Uh, I didn't know that. Someone told me that recently. Anyways, let's chat to Pete. Please watch the film. Uh, it's available on Stab Premium now. He had all these great films, No Limits, um, Mental Surfing. Those were all movies that people can look at now and go, wow, that was influential surfing because uh, it was everything. It was airs, it was barrels, it was big waves, and all of us were doing it. And that's what I grew up in. This peer group did it all. I think a lot of that came from Santa Cruz as a whole because we had barrels. We had wedges for big air sections and we had big waves. So what are you up to today? Are you packing for Waimea? I am. Um, I'm, you know, I'm packing for two kind of because John, well, we just got a bunch of new boards. And so we're trying to, you know, put grip on them and then who's carrying what boards and, you know, what stuff. Yeah. How does it feel to get that Eddie invite? It seems to be an event that people hold with a reverence above all other events. Well, it's the first true big wave event of its kind, um, you know, there's the Duke is kind of something that's kind of on that same realm as far as Hawaiian surf contests, but specifically the Eddie, I mean, you just think about the legacy it carries because of how long it's been around, um, what it represents, the story that it represents, um, the family. And it's just an honor, right? It's like, it's, it's almost like the masters, you know, or something like that in comparison to the PGA. It's just this event that has such great legacy and, and such amazing winners and um, such great stories. And it only happens every once in a while. It's just got this luster to it that that everybody gets super excited to participate in. You know, it's something that is an honor to participate in because it's not, I mean, yeah, you're competing for money, but um, the spirit of the Eddie is to to share and celebrate Eddie's life, um, you know, and, and ride big waves at the bay and that's what's so unique about it because it doesn't have, I mean, there's certain surfers that'll take competitive edge to it, but generally the vibe out in the water is sharing. And, uh, and I think that's even more now, um, you know, I don't know if there's even any prize money for this one, you know, it's just more about celebrating Eddie's life. And if there's prize money, cool. If not, they're still there and um, we're still going to compete in it and we're going to celebrate Eddie's life. That's what it's about. I mean, you've had such an amazing run uh, having that wave at Mavericks recently. And, and Taylor Paul told me the night, that you'd caught that big wave, you weren't there, but a bunch of people were sitting around the fire and they were sort of recounting the day and they said, Twiggy said, well, the Pete Mel film can be made now. Did, did, catching, that, <laughs> did catching that wave make you stop and think, this is a good time to reflect on my life as a surfer? For sure, it did happen um, just because of, it was such a climactic point in my life as far as Mavericks is concerned. Um, there's so much more life still to to go, but yeah, as far as a surfer is concerned, yeah, it's, it was a pinnacle of my career and, um, I didn't see it coming. I wasn't trying to do it. It was something that literally, um, happened because I was putting myself in the position to be there for it. Um, and the fact that my, you know, trying to train with my son and, and have him, you know, see where he's at with it. So I was like, uh, yeah, it, it gave me a reflection and almost in a way, I, like I was said to, to you guys before, um, it, it was in a, in a way a little depressing because <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm like, wait, I feel like I still got some to give, but it's like, how do you, you know, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm 50, I just turned 52. So it's, 
yeah, it's a, 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 it's basically a reflection, but it's also a pinnacle. So it's like, okay, you know, if I can get a couple more shoulders around and, you know, a few more waves and that's kind of cool too. So, um, right now the desire is still there. We'll see when I'm mean, actually have a 25 footer, you know, standing up in your face, how much desire you have. That's really the true test. Yeah. Film premiered in Santa Cruz and your 52nd birthday. What sort of limitations do you feel from your age on, on your body and your mind when it comes to surfing, when you hit 52? I always think about Kelly when it comes to the age thing, because he, he seems to just defy reality a little bit with, with the level of performance surfing he's doing. I, I would say that, I mean, if you had, and I've, and I've been dissecting Kelly, you know, obviously my other job being, um, besides running this retail store here is, is commentary. And so you, you're, I'm an analyzing surfing all the time. Right. And Kelly becomes a very hot topic, obviously, because of what he's done in his career, but the fact that he is, has this incredible longevity and obviously in the waves of consequence, the waves that you do need to have that experience in, he is still at the top of his game, whether it's Chopo or it's pipeline, um, you know, J Bay, just stuff like that. But I mean, he starts to get a little limited when the waves aren't as good because you start to lose that kind of quick twitch muscles and that quick reaction. You lose consistency in my eyes. I mean, I think even Kelly falls a little bit more than he ever has. And I do too surfing, you know, when I go out in the water, like it's hard to stay wanting to surf better at 50 years old, really. I mean, cause your body just doesn't allow that, you know, you've got creaks and cracks, you've got, you know, those kind of things. But I mean, as far as big ways or ways of consequence where knowledge is such a huge, um, part of it, that's where you feel like you can still keep excelling and keep getting better. How hard was it to agree to participate in a film like this when you know that you had to divulge your, your, the most difficult parts of your life and, and become a, and, and share those to an audience that might not be across that side of your story. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. It, it is. I don't know. Right. I, I felt like, I mean, the story, somebody, um, you know, who overcame adversity, you know, he did it. He didn't, you know, he was, I, I mean, I, I consider myself very fortunate that I didn't, you know, just plow face first and, and kill somebody, hurt somebody, hurt myself, you know, during those, that time. Um, I was able to, to not do that, which there's plenty of people who, you know, had to get more destructive before they hit their gutter, you know? So I was able to kind of see it, um, and feel it early. And that was because of the support of my family. You know, I came forward, I was, you know, honest with them. Um, you know, tried to be as honest as I could at that time, (laughs) you know, but I needed help and they were willing to be there and support me in it. And, and same with my friends, you know, like, you know, Adam was a, is a prime example of somebody who was, I can always call. You know, Strider Wazalewski is another guy I can, I, you know, and he wasn't really in the movie, but there, he was a, he was one of the first guys I ever called and, and divulged to somebody else besides the, you know, the guys I was using with, um, and said, saying that, Hey, I need to come clean. I'm, I'm having some, some rough go. So he was there supportive as well. So, um, the friends and family were, were huge and get me to, to where I was on that wave just, uh, you know, just a year ago. Yeah. And I've, I was listening to a podcast recently that was talking about addiction and they talked about neurologists studying on actually studying honesty and how helpful that is in the process of addiction. I know all the 12 step programs, they, they are heavily um, anchored towards the honesty and, and, and sort of flushing out the past. Is, is there any part of you, is there any part of making this film that's been like cathartic in that sense, as much as it's, I'm sure it's really difficult is, is any part of it being cathartic? 
I, I would say a little bit more the process of now seeing everybody seeing it, but telling the story, not as necessary. There's still, I think, you know, there's still a lot more to process. <laughs> I'm like, you know, like I'm constantly moving through stuff. Um, so that it, it was cathartic. And I think more kind of as now seeing people's reaction to it, um, you know, and then I'm getting notes, you know, from, from other addicts saying, thank you, you know, it's giving me some hope, which is great. That's kind of what the story and that was what kind of my hope would be is that you could kind of help someone um, either to steer clear of it because obviously, um, you know, and when we, I was growing up, it was, it was glamorized as we did it as, you know, part of our daily crap. <laughs> Whereas I wouldn't want to, to have my child, um, you know, or more my children and or someone else's children go through that. And so hopefully they can take a little bit of it. Um, and, and I, and one thing that I have seen in, in this generation that's coming up right now is, and, and it's not just here in my town, but it's, it's all over the places. Um, there's a, a lot of love going around being spread around to each other, su- supporting and uplifting you people in, in the surfing community. I mean, yeah, there's still occasional stuff that happens, but for the most part, like all the kids that I hang out with, you know, whether it be Crosby or Griffin Colapinto or John or Nolan or, um, you know, all of that young guys, they're huggers. They're loving each other and popping each other up. They're supporting each other at the beach. And it's kind of come from this generation of like Kolohe, you know, bring the groms underneath and teach them the right way to do things. And, um, and have fun. And, and so that's kind of what I see from this generation now, whereas we, you know, we had fun in a very sadistic way, as far as my group and Pierce went at it, we were, we were, you know, there was a lots of laughs, but there was also lots of ribbings and lots of, you know, punches and stuff like that. And that's, I just don't see that in the new generation, which is cool. Yeah. That stood out to me. There was a moment where you said, we didn't push each other up. We tore each other down. We didn't push each other up. Matter of fact, we tore each other down. That was kind of the, the way it worked. You know, if someone was getting thinking they're too hot shit, <laughs> pull you down somehow. You either got your, you either got pantsed or <laughs> you did something stupid, you learned. That whole group rose up, right? No one individually kind of would run away from anyone. It was always just the whole group was the Santa Cruz boys and we were a posse and we were a force to be reckoned with, you know, and that's kind of the mentality that we had. There's obviously advantages to that ruthless competitiveness, but you seem to reflect on it with a touch of either regret or, or sadness. If you, like, if you were to see your, your son have those type of relationships with, your, with his friends, would, would you be, would you be um, upset or would you think it was a potentially going to lead to a good thing? it's hard to say i i I, because i love the what his friends right now like so i i don't think i would love to put him back in my shoes and how i grew up with my kids and there was a generation even underneath me and it's maybe you know i started looking and reflecting upon myself and what i was in life and how i made friends and how i worked with it i basically was a little prick right and i got picked on because i wanted to get picked on because that's how i got attention ah yeah Um, Right. So I was that guy who always was like, you know, poking the monkey or doing that stuff to get beat up and get the attention and get and then they make me cry. And this is my high school friends. Right. And then then all of a sudden you get into this other group and it kind of has that same. It wasn't at that level, but it's kind of that same thing where I was I was always poking the bear um, to get attention because I wanted attention. And um, so I I would say that that's a flaw <laughs> and that I, you know, and 
Um, I think that you could survive in a pack of people like that, but don't have to be that kind of a, you know, you don't need to poke the monkey. And, and John's a complete opposite of me. He's like, he's like his mom. He, he doesn't, he just sits quietly and listens and, you know, he'll occasionally, you know, play and stuff like that, but it's, it's never, he's usually the quiet one. That's so funny that, I was, that you, you say that you were, you, you were trying to get attention because you seem, I deserved it. <laughs> well, you seem so <laughs> humble now that it's hard to imagine this, this ruthless young Pete like striving for attention because you couldn't, you, yeah, you just seem like the opposite of that now. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, yeah, it, it, I was, it, it took me a long time to learn. That's right. I mean, I had to go through, um, I mean, I, if I were to go back and, and some of the nicknames, for example, like Johnny boy Gomes, he, he nicknamed me Hollywood. Hey, Hollywood, you know, like, and that was like, because I, I, I kind of was trying to get attention. I'd either wear bright, you know, I'd have bright surfboards or bright colors in the water. And I did try to, you know, and, and trying to be cool with Johnny, you know, when I first met him, <laughs> you know, and, and so he, he literally nicknamed me. I'm like, okay, so now I, he saw it. So I guess if we were hanging out more, you know, uh, maybe that's just what you see is that, you know, demeanor in the booth or whatever. But um, I did for years. I've, I've mellowed out a lot, obviously, because, um, you know, hopefully you refine yourself at 50 years old. That's hopefully what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard look to pull off the, the the 52 year old who's still desperate for attention, trying yeah. to like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work so well. My wife says I still do it, which. <laughs> have, you, have you like psychoanalyzed yourself as to what was going on for you at that age when, when you were younger and, and at your most ruthless? Yeah. What, what what do you make of yeah. it? Um, I I. I, I that's what I make of it. I kind of explained it in the sense that I, I'm, I was starving for attention. I was, but like, but know, what, but what's behind for, that again? Like, do you have a, was there a particular ah, insecurities? I would say it's, yeah. you know, it's insecurities of, of myself and, you know, and I truly looking back on it, I look at my childhood, my parents, I was an only child. So I was very, I was spoiled and, and I pretty much was able to get most everything I wanted at the time. You know, I knew how to manipulate to get, get the toys for Christmas or, um, you know, go on a trip or whatever it was at the time to, to do it. Cause I was the only child and, um, you know, and that, that, that played a part in probably my upbringing as being a spoiled little rotten brat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, and I, and I remember cause I remember being jealous of another grandkid being born. No <laughs> I, was way. Like I, had, I had, I had 10 years of, of like the grandparents being the only grandchild too, for a long time. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, the other aunts and uncles had kids and all of a sudden you had to share the, the Santa's knee and <laughs> so, that kind of stuff. I looked back on, I'm like, ah, oh, that stuff I could, you know, I'm glad I figured that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people can get crystallized in that kind of wiring. So it's good that you've, you've had the self-awareness and I've got some coaching I've done, you know, I've done therapy and that's part of, and a lot comes from, you know, 12 steps programs, you know, and going to that and living the 12 steps, because that was something that is a, a very good recipe. If you want to succeed in life, as far as keeping, you know, your emotions clear and, um, you know, not sitting on guilt and not sitting on remorse. Do you still participate in 12 step stuff? I haven't as much as I used to. Um, I don't uh, as much. I still hang out with a lot of people that are sober. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the same thing. And I have friend relationships where I, I speak with my sponsor and I do that kind of stuff, but I don't necessarily go to meetings. I should, I should get tuned up. I, I it's a, it's someplace that I definitely would uh, recommend for just healthy maintenance, you know, and, and there's a, it's that huge program. Basically there's a lot you can 
take in and some stuff works for you and some works for other people. And so I think that experience sharing that with everyone and, and going there and to a meeting and have someone share it with you is, is definitely enlightening. Yeah. Is there a fear of, of relapse that you carry around or is that a long gone? Yeah, it's gone. I think for the most part, I mean, occasionally you'll feel like, uh, you know, like, I mean, um, but overall, yeah, that the desire definitely goes away. I, it, it didn't in the very beginning because it took a while for me to get through. Like I relapsed, you know, I, I went back to it. It wasn't like I just all of a sudden stopped and stayed that way forever. I, I tried to, you know, tune it up again and it didn't work. So, um, but now at this point, you know, like, you know, I'm almost 15 years in. So um, at this point, it's it's a lot easier. You, you've lived 15 years of your life a certain way now. Um, and you learn to deal with emotional stuff uh, with better ways, you know. Were you close to losing your relationship with your wife through that time? Because like I can imagine that would take the ultimate strain on a relationship. 100% it does. Um, and it was definitely a strain, but that's why I, I say that I, I owe a lot to her and, and her perseverance in, in going through it all because she was one of my biggest supporters and, and still is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate to have a woman that, stayed in love with you because I don't know if a lot of women would have stayed through um, that stuff because uh, it was traumatic. And, you know, when you're in the house losing your mind, which is really what was happening, I started, you know, going, kind of going crazy. You know, I started losing my mind. Meth psychosis is pretty gnarly. I don't recommend it to anyone. Um, I thought I had people living under my house. I thought there was video cameras on me 24-7. thought there was other dimensions um, that I could talk to. It was wild. But that, that literally, I came to a point where I was, I was going nuts. I was probably so fucked up at the time that I didn't know that there was a moment that I was like, get your shit together. There was, okay, so there's one instance that just popped up for me. I don't even know if I can admit this, but I thought someone was stealing my son. I think the first place a, a woman would go is get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but she's but she's one that basically said we can fix this, you know, and had that uh, that that mentality. So, um yeah, I'm very fortunate for that. How long did it go on for? The- uh it was probably almost 2 years. Uh, the, the, I mean, but no, I mean before that there was, you know, there was but the methamphetamine use was was just about, you know, it started out kind of slower went through a very, you know, a strong time. And then obviously there was the time getting out of it. So, I mean, really, truly, I probably was like, you know, on it, try most every day for like six months or something like that, you know, but dabbling to there, then going full bore and just being a full on just meth head, which is crazy. And then, and then your brain basically deteriorates and you, you can't get naturally. And that was another thing on the other side of it, um, trying to get, naturally endorphins and stuff like that because you you your body basically doesn't get naturally high anymore um you don't feel emotion you don't feel endorphins you know all of the synapses that create that are just fried because you of the use that you've had uh, of methamphetamine so it's it's it was tough on the other side of it to get motivated again to do do things um and that took a good year so um it, it, it was a four years of my life that basically, you know, were, were very difficult. And I know it was difficult for my family. When meth first came into the community, was 
it, it was it must have had a very different. I mean, was it new or or was because right now the stigma of meth is so distinct. But when you first were across it, what was what did you think it was, and did you know what you were getting into? I was willing to overlook the stigma at the time. So it was it was <laughs> it, I was there. Okay. Oh yeah. No, I you can kind of know. I mean, there's people that like, and I and I my ego basically said that I can I can handle this and control it and not. You know, and there was people around me that were, you know, that were able to do it with me, you know, so it was like, that's kind of where I, I, I had other people that I was rolling with at the time that we were kind of pulling it. Um, and my ego was like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to turn into that. But I mean, it didn't take long before you're doing some weird stuff and like, you, know, like you start to go, yeah, you question, you question it. But when you're, you know, that far in, man, yeah, it's, it, it, it was a moment where I was like, and then you sit there and you realize you're like, I'm losing it. <laughs> uh, so I did know what it was and um, I thought I was better than it, <laughs> but learned quickly that that's not the case. Yeah. That one. Has I, it- you know, there's a lot of people out there still suffering on it. You know, I can't believe how much the drug use has gone up and uh, surf community around the world. You know, there's, there's people that got caught up in stuff and some are just good at hiding it and some are trying to help others like, you know, like Daryl with, you know, flea, he's, he's doing what he's doing with his story to, to help others. And it's, it's great because he is, he's helping lots of people. And your relationship with flea is good now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that fight we, scene uh, is wild. I was like, at first I was like, are they serious? Well, start right now. Go for it. Start it. Start it. Don't talk to us and we don't fucking slap me in the back hard, right? Oh, you got to turn it around like that. Someone else gets slapped yeah. in the back. I saw something down here, not right in his fucking book. That was just, that's just alcohol infused, you know, fun. That was nothing. We were <laughs> hugging after that. Literally, it's like, that's how it is. We It looked intense and it is, and, you know, for the hot second that it happens. And then you just laugh it off afterwards. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we, you know. That we were flared up egos right there, you know, and everybody's watching us too. That's the whole thing. It's not just us two in the street. It's like the whole posse's in Mexico. Right, you're performing almost. Uh, perform exactly. Yeah, That's exactly yeah. what that was. Like, yeah. who's who's better? Who's the alpha male here? Who's you know? He's a he's like half my size, and I'm trying to beat him up. Like, there's <laughs> <laughs> like, some uh, good hits. There's some good connections. I, I was. Oh. I don't know where the scorecard <laughs> ended up on that fight, but oh, it was entertaining. Uh, it was, we both lost. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I heard a thing recently explained that as, as adults, we don't really ever change. And, and like occasionally a traumatic event will rewire us a little bit, but ultimately we're, we're, we're just sort of set and, but we will behave differently in different environments. And you took that job with Quicksilver and relocated. Do you think you would have been able to take the, the new path that you did had you not relocated? Um, I think it helped. I mean, I, I, I was pretty well sober at that point when that opportunity came up, you know, I'd, I'd already put a good solid year and a half, almost two years in. Um, it just, it just added to the development of me, you know, in my ways and needing it. It was a golden opportunity. Literally it was, that was the thing. It was like, here's somebody who's believing in me, knows my story and, um, is believing in me to, to run a division of it. And, and, um, there was a lot asked of me in that, in that position too, that I, I 
I feel good about actually accomplishing because there was like a, we came in, it was a $12 million brand. And they're like, the, the year I walked in there, they're like, the, the, the boss is going, okay, we need to see growth here. And I want to see a five-year plan. All of a sudden I'm like, okay, I have to, <laughs> I have to develop a five-year plan. Yeah, I've just been and surfing like, Mavericks. I don't, I don't know five-year right? plans. Exactly. And I get thrown into this thing and I'm like, okay, I can do this. And I, and again, it was like, I went to school. It was kind of rad because um, I had these mentors that were, I get to work with, I, I worked with this guy, Guy Stagman, who was a head designer um, for the, the Waterman collection and um, Kent Stevens, who was head of sales. And these are two really experienced guys that had been in the Quicksilver for 20 years plus. And they're basically mentoring me on what they need and what, you know, and we developed this five-year plan together. And like, we built this thing out, we had a marketing element of it. And we, and we you know, and then we ended up literally in that, five-year plan we were hitting our numbers which was insane you know we were killing it so i was like oh my gosh this is kind of cool um you know and then all of a sudden we had a change of ownership and a change of uh, you know the ceos and things changed pretty quickly um even even though our division was doing really well they basically had to simplify things because the rest of the company was struggling so um things changed hey talking about hierarchy in the early footage of mavericks in the film there's just there's no one out there and then you fast forward 20 years and it looks like snapper rocks the, the crowd on a fun day there's there's just people everywhere how did do, how does the hierarchy work in the water now that it's so crowded and there's such limited waves on on big days yeah i i mean i would i would imagine for for me it's a little different um because i have been there since the very beginning and most people that are showing up there know that so um the, <laughs> i i don't have a really good the water's part unfortunately when i go for waves it's one of those things right now where the water's part i don't have to hassle with that too much um but i would say so for an example like of, of john for or you know someone he's coming up he's probably a little bit lucky too because he's my kid but um you know people that are trying to to get in there it's it becomes i would say very hard very difficult um you know i'm not out there trying to take every single wave but i mean if you're just trying to get one or two and you're trying to learn the process it's it would be hard and i one of the major factors and Fortunately, is this set that we've developed all these safety features with inflation vests and inflation, you know, stagnant inflation and, uh, you know, our water patrol teams that it's made it, a, you know, a lot more uh, advantageous. You're, you're able to surf out there and not die, you know, whereas when we were out there, it was, we didn't have skis to come save us. We didn't have life vests and vests. And so I think a lot of people were, were stayed away from it because of that. Yeah, it's a funny one, huh? Like nowadays, it's just so accessible. It's it's almost easy. Yeah, it can be. It can be. In your mind, who's the best Maverick surfer of all time? I would say uh, Flea was in my eyes. Um, you know, just competitively, the amount of time he put in there. That you know, he was he took some of the most, in my eyes, some of the gnarliest wipeouts ever, and and came out uh, unscathed, which is. You know, there's one, two wipeouts in one particular day that were, were as crazy as you would ever see. Um, and he's also ridden some of the best waves I've ever seen. So hmm. Flea gets and, the title. And I have a, he gets a title. And, the, and, and another reason why I give him this title is the respect for him to basically say, hey, I have more important things in my life than chasing Mavericks now. And I'm going to step away because that, that's a, you know, that's a humility in a huge way because he's, He's giving up something that was such a huge part of his life um, to be there for his kids. And, you know, and that's where I, I mean, you talk about survivor's remorse. I almost feel that way. Now all of a sudden I'm like teaching my kid to do this stuff and it's dangerous. And, you know, I 
would feel a huge sense of guilt if he were to get hurt. Um, whereas he's basically saying, ah, oh, I can still surf and have fun, but I'm going to be there for my children, you know, and I have a lot of respect for that. So who's the most respected big wave surfer in, in the world right now? I, I particularly like, I have a lot of respect for Greg Long. Um, obviously for me, he was a very, he took a very, very calculated approach. And every time I've ever had any missions or anything ever with him, um, he is always, he's on every aspect of it. And I've always tried to get myself on that same level of knowing, you know, all the safety protocols and who you can have, you know, and being able to have the best people there, um, you know, knowing what the forecast is going to be, um, you know, checking things twice, you know, it's just like, he's, he's so involved in it. And another surfer that has had a crazy experience, right. I mean, he basically drowned out at, and like, um, and came back to life and had to fight back into riding big waves again. And do you think he's still at the top of the heap? I think he's stepped away. I think it's his desire has waned a bit. And that's probably just because he's got other stuff that stokes his fire. I mean, I, I literally, he's traveling and doing such cool things. He's surfing by himself. I, I, we don't really know what Greg Long's doing, but I know that he's surfing a lot. And, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I mean, nowadays it's like, you look at, I, I have a lot of respect for Ian Walsh and then his, his crew and the way things have, and he developed same kind of thing, very uh, involved in every aspect of the sport whether it be competitions or um, strike missions or, you know, catching the biggest and gnarliest wave on the planet at, at Jaws. But I would say that he's, he's one of those guys um, that, you know, has, is fully well-rounded. I guess I have a lot of respect for people that are fully well-rounded, right? And, you know, Ian came to Mavericks and he, he got some of the most latest and sickest drops. I mean, he also took some of the meanest donuts, but uh, he knows uh, how to surf big waves. And so he can go put them anywhere. You can put them at Waimea, you can put them in, um, you know, Nazare, he's going to perform. What's your gnarliest experience as a big wave surfer been? What do you mean? Like what's, what's, what's the hairiest moment you've ever been? Like the, uh, your, it could be your heaviest wipeout or, or even being a part of someone else's. Like, is there something that sticks out in terms of, of, uh, just a horrifying event you were I part guess of? the very, um, it wasn't really horrifying, but it was more enlightening because it was horrifying. Um, I mean, there, it's in the movie, actually, that that wipeout where I get held down for you know, two waves. That was my first two wave hold down. Um, and, and that was, again, it was something where I, it was scary at the moment. And I, but I came to the, the moment of either panicking, going, oh, gosh, I'm going to die or, oh, you got this. And I was able to go to the, oh, you got this moment and, and just relax. And I, my body innately did it, um, which was, which is really cool. Um, that's why they run around under, underwater with rocks and, yeah. you know. <laughs> do you ever do that? Did you ever do that? Uh, I have. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard and that's why that people do it, you know, cause it is difficult. You know, you're, you're, it's, it's very, very similar to a big wave wipeout as far as like how you're seeing and training your body big wave surfing is obviously uh, it's a it's just innately scary no matter what it can't not be and but so is public speaking a lot of people actually cite public speaking is the number one fear like more so than death do you did you have a, is there any fear associated with with the broadcast or the public speaking that you do how does that compare to big wave surfing? What's, what's scarier for you? 
I would say, uh, I mean, big wave surfing is, you know, it's not life or death when you're sitting on the stage. <laughs> I mean, I, and I've screwed up royally on the stage. What, what's been uh, your biggest, what's been your, your biggest mistake? Oh yeah. Big wave awards. Oh yeah. Big wave awards. Um, we had our first woman president of the world surf league, Sophie Goldschmidt. And I introduced her to come to the stage as Sophie Goldberg. <laughs> that was on. <laughs> and I remember Paige and, and, and it's funny because Paige Alms was sitting in the very end. This is like my first, like, you know, I'm, I'm emceeing the big wave awards, you know, and we're at Red Bull and we're on the stage. Everybody's there and they're taping it for TV for broadcasts. And I, and I look at, I look at, uh, at, at, uh, Paige and she's all Goldschmidt. She's like whispered, Goldschmidt. Oh, <laughs> from the no. very first row and i'm all oh yeah sophie goldschmidt sorry about that and i tried to play it off and it, you know felt like a heel and i never got asked back for the big wave awards did you get a laugh did, did when you when you tried to correct did you get a laugh i would or? say it was it was an awkward laugh i laughed to myself i it didn't feel it didn't feel like it was i just walked it off although everyone told me i did but i, I felt it for a while afterwards <laughs> and like Award ceremonies are crazy. Um, I, you know, like, but it's different when you're in the booth, you know, you're not seeing an audience when you're looking at an audience. It's a lot different when you're actually looking at an audience. Um, you know, I, I, I do know that I have to be careful because, um, people are listening. I'll say that, you know, you, you, you'll probably ask this question, you know, <laughs> have I ever looked at, um, some of the comments, but yeah, I have. I'm I'm one of the guiltiest of all of them to to check them out. <laughs> you know, like if I'm going to go. <laughs> the the World Surf League came in that were around the name change, and they changed up the broadcast a lot. And people hate yep. change, particularly people of the internet. And the broad the the broadcast team was just getting hammered. There was it was people were yep. so opinionated and so judgmental. There was no criticism of judging or surfing. I mean, it, the scale in comparison was just like, no one was even talking yeah. about that. People were just hammering the broadcast team. And, and I think it was, I put it down to just the change and then, and then also the WSL's presence were, they were trying to change the level of professionalism. So it probably put a lot of pressure on the broadcast team, but it was, it was just, it was wild there for a while. How, um, yeah, how critical people were and. Oh, and I, I, I read a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, what did you do? Like it must affect your head noise. Uh, a little bit. And, but uh, there's the, the funny thing, at least for the, the critiquing I was getting for myself. I mean, I, there was a lot of critiquing elsewhere and I probably wasn't the number one target. Um, there was other people that were at the time <laughs> I've been a target. Don't get me wrong, but um, I, there's a, a, there's a, a bit of truth to some of the stuff. If someone's going to give some of their opinion and they want to say something about something, there's some truth there. You know, and, um, and I still, I'll, I'll get, I'll get messages. I mean, nowadays they can talk directly to me, right? They don't have to, you know, it used to be that show up as a comment, um, underneath the stab article, or it was going to come underneath, uh, you know, it, there was actually, there was, there's a, you know, a couple sites you could go to and then they actually started threads about bad commentary. You could read those too, <laughs> like on surfer magazine, surfermag.com had a, you know, commentary for this event. And, you know, and a, a lot of times it was just, dumb stuff right you know just i can't hear him anymore he's saying what too much i drank 16 times for this but like there if there is a critique i'll take it and i'll go okay i can understand that perspective on it and try to to change a little bit i mean we're straddling a fence right of being able to talk to somebody who watches every single heat every day knows a lot about surfing and you're trying to and we get a lot of pressure as commentators to talk to people that are new 
right? And that's why you hear us reiterating stuff over and over and over again, because we're trying to educate people that don't have any idea. I mean, if we just talked about like everybody knew what the rules were or knew what, you know, good surfing is, you know, it, it would, um, we alienate a lot of people. So you kind of need to have this balance and you're straddling this fence of being able to give core knowledge and be entertaining. And then also education for new people that are coming in, because obviously if you have more eyes on it, you know, there's more money to be made for the surfers and sponsorship comes and like, that's, you know, that, which I know that world surf league right now, it's not, it's not a, a lucrative business running surf contests, you know, <laughs> it's very difficult. Yeah. You know, what's, you know, what's funny is, is it's so easy to judge anyone that's in any type of public speaking situation, anyone with a microphone stuck in their face. And I do it all the time. I'm like, oh, you idiot. Why'd you say that? Like you're sounding like yeah. such a muppet. You're repeating yourself. You're on loop. But the second you get a microphone shoved in your face and you've got to talk, the having any level of comfort there to just be able to be natural is so difficult. And it's, you start to get an, a different understanding of of what's going on so quickly when you're put in that position. Like, And the media is is on now too right so even i mean y- your phone is your media right so you're literally people are talking into their phone saying whatever they want to say and then they're producing it for everybody to see so it's a different realm than it used to be um but and i think that that's puts a lot of pressure on being able to um, if you're going to articulate something do it in a way that your people are going to walk away with something they've learned walk away with something they've learned walk away with something walk away with something they've learned Thanks, Pete. Uh, and again, I'll say it one more time. Please go and watch Pete's film, Everything and All. It's on Stab Premium now. And then also, please send in your surf skins. Do both of those things or die. They are your options. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. did watch a lot of sessions where those guys were uh, fueled by one-ups and, and being really competitive, hell yeah. And then there's a reason why those guys boxed, you know, and slapped each other around a couple times, you know. <laughs>